This is your principal speaking. Grab your books and grab your bags. Get down the hall and get to class. Welcome to the podcast. Go ahead and have a seat class uh, to make sure you didn't get lost down the proverbial hallways of the internet. My name's Noelle. And I'm Laura. And welcome to Higher Education. This is a casual educational comedy podcast uh, where we ask questions about all kinds of stuff while Laura, who is our designated uh, medical marijuana license holder, gets a little high. So we or can, a lot high. Or a lot high in the case of our first episode tonight. Lauren's our first episode. Yay. We're very excited. Because it's the first episode, we'll give you guys kind of a breakdown of our format, as it were. So, of course, we'll say hi to you guys. If you want to get high with Laura, feel free to. And then Laura will ask us a question of the week. And I will provide more information to help us answer that question. But before we get started, everybody, Laura, what's our strain of the day today? Our strain of the day is Rainbow Chip. Ooh. Very fanciful. As a unicorn and rainbow lover, um, I'm for it. Yes. And that was part of the reason I chose it. Because, first of all, it's really good. And second of all, Noelle loves rainbows and unicorns. These are all true facts. Yes. I really appreciate your choice of... I mean, who doesn't love rainbows <laughs> and unicorns, though? But Noelle has... There's a just special place in her heart for them. Very, very, very special. It's yes. very pastel colored for the most part. Laura, tell me, what's our question of the day? My question is, why is Shakespeare, or the works of Shakespeare, why are they considered so important to education? I mean, you learn about Romeo and Juliet, which is a story about two kids that basically suicide or unalive themselves. I don't know how we're supposed to say that on a podcast, but how is that important to growing up? Like, I don't know. Why would they teach kids that? The thing, th those types of things. Like, I just, I don't see those plays as, I don't understand why it's in our education system is so important. Okay. And I can't tell you how excited I was when, so you guys know, spoiler alert, Laura gives me a heads up about our question of the week. So I have time to research and I could not have been more excited about this question. because She literally squealed. I did. I squealed so hard because if Noelle is a nerd for anything, Noelle is a nerd for theater. And particularly, I am a huge nerd when it comes to the bard. I like, that's how big of a nerd I am. I refer to William Shakespeare as the bard. That's how bad it is, you guys. She's like, she knows him. She knows William I mean, Shakespeare. I'm not, okay, and this is not me trying to humble brag or anything on the podcast. I've been to Stratford upon Avon. That was like my mother's graduation present to me when I graduated high school. Aww. We went to Europe. And she was like, you know where we're going, right? And I was like, no. And she's like, we're going to go to London and we're going to take a day trip and we're going to go to Stratford-upon-Avon. Oh. And it was incredible. Like it was, 
Um, it, it's it's very, and I don't want to say it like this, but for a theater nerd like me, it was like going to Mecca. It was like going oh. to like the Holy Land for me. That's what it was. You are so pure. That was what it was the equivalent of. And this is not me trying to at all insult the the faith of Muslim or Islam or anything of that nature. It's just that's my that's my best equivalency to it. Is that. It was a great historical place for me to go to, so I had a great connection to it in that way. But enough of that. To the question at the large, and there's actually multiple answers to this and okay. a lot of different opinions when it comes to this, which I found in my research to kind of get into why the Bard's work is important and why we still learn about him, even though it's been over 400 years since he's been alive and his works were published. Actually, the anniversary of over 400 years was just this year in 2021. You said it's been that long since any of them have been published? No, since it, his death, like since the time that he was alive. He and was alive 400 years ago? 400 years ago and we're still talking about him. No, I thought he was like dead a long time ago. <laughs> 400 years? 400 years. Like, he was alive when Alexander Hamilton was alive? Shortly before that. And that's where we're going to start. <laughs> let's hop. Let's do a total, like, Peabody moment. And we're going to hop in the Wayback Machine and go back in history. <laughs> so, Shakespeare is coming up during the Elizabethan period. This is during the reign of Queen Elizabeth I. Before Elizabeth, England had a huge upheaval, which we can get into in another episode, that was Elizabeth's family, which was the ruling monarchy called the Tudors. The reason that Shakespeare was such a big deal for his time was because he was writing plays that promoted the royal family. So much so to the point he actually got a lot of financial backing from the royal court of Queen Elizabeth. Wow. So Shakespeare was getting financial backing from... The Queen royal court. From the royal from court. Queen Elizabeth and the royal court. Exactly. Because he was writing plays that basically made her family look good and made their enemies look bad. Oh, so he was an ass kisser. He was, he was writing political propaganda, apparently, like during that time. He was writing what we now consider to be his histories, which were like Richard III and Henry VIII and all the other Henry plays that he put on during that time. So a lot of stuff that are plays that talk about the English royalty, that's him recording the current history and events that were going on in his time. So he was almost like a political historian for the Elizabethan era that we can look back on just with a dramatic flair. Hmm. Okay. So it's sort of like uh, Trump ads, <laughs> but better. <laughs> Or to look at it from a different way, if we were to take a look at like a political thing that could also become history, he he was to the Elizabethan era what Lin Manuel Miranda's is to us. I get it. He's yes. This is <laughs> th think of what Hamilton is to us now. That's, That's what his what play. It was. But it was current events for them. He was Lin Manuel. Miranda mm -hmm. is America's William Shakespeare. He's our legacy. That is a beautiful parallel to that, and I will endorse it 100%. Lin-Manuel Miranda, I know you're never going to hear this, if, if, but I love you so much. I, I do, too. We love you so and much, Lin. My boyfriend does, too. He really does. <laughs> anyway, he watched Hamilton the other day when he was sick. 
It was oh. so cute. Oh. I, li I listen to it like constantly. But that's not the only reason that he is so important. But that was one of the reasons he was so popular during his time. The other reason that he was popular was that he wrote things into his plays that appealed to a large mass audience, not only with like uplifting the Tudor family that Elizabeth was from, but also having like very down to earth characters in his stories that like the poorer people watching his plays could relate to and putting in like crass humor into his comedies and into all of his stories. So then no matter who you were, you could relate to a character that was on stage. Hmm. Yeah, it's like Lin-Manuel Miranda. He understands us. And William Shakespeare, he understood the people. Exactly. Now, an even crazier thing about Shakespeare, which I just learned this during my research looking into this, because again, the way that history repeats itself, during the time of when William Shakespeare was alive, there was a pandemic. <gasps> there was oh the, the plague. So what the plague is William Shakespeare. Okay. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Miranda, this is going to be Laura's conspiracy theory for this episode. I'm going to tag you in this on Twitter every day. <laughs> Lin-Manuel Lin Miranda is the reborn spirit of William Shakespeare. This is Laura's conspiracy theory for this episode of the podcast. I'm going to have a, we're going to have to start a counter. For every time you, I come up with a conspiracy. You, you come theory. up with a conspiracy theory while you're high. This is what's going to have to happen. Yes. Anyway, continue, please. We are getting <laughs> way off topic. That's okay. I did not know Lin Manuel Miranda was the, going to be in this at all. <laughs> I don't think you. Well, you might have because you, you 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 put it in there. <laughs> I know my audience because she loves you too, buddy. I do. She loves you so much. so much. Anyway, okay. not only. Did he know his audiences? But the big thing about Shakespeare's plays, because something else to remember, Shakespeare is coming up during what we know, know now as the Renaissance. So right before this, we had the Dark Ages. Yes. Not even just the Middle Ages. We went straight into the Dark Ages. Yes. After a good point, which is where we completely lose a lot of things that happened in early classical history from the Greeks. So Rena the Renaissance period is known for bringing back a lot of Greek themes. And when mm -hmm. we talked about doing this episode, you mentioned Oedipus and said that it was one of Shakespeare's plays. And it's not, but it's so great that you mention it because actually, and this comes back to Noel's theory of everybody just writes fan fiction about other stuff. A lot of the other plays and stuff that Shakespeare wrote are based on Roman and Greek stories that were not as well known, but had recently been rediscovered during his time. So he took a lot of themes and some of the settings and things like some of the ancient Greek pantheon and Roman pantheons and incorporated those into his plays because they were the big thing everybody was talking about at that time. So it's centered back from a lot of art during the Dark Ages was focused on not the self, but the soul and the spirit. So a lot of art, music and plays was very like two dimensional and flat. Mm -hmm. But you look at Greek art and stories, and they're very three-dimensional, fully developed characters. And we don't see that again in theater until the era of the Renaissance, and particularly with Shakespeare and Marlowe, who were some of the biggest playwrights of Europe at that time. Hmm. So Shakespeare was, he was early in the Renaissance, correct? 
he was coming up, I want to say about early mid Renaissance period, because we associate the Renaissance a lot more with like the mid 1500s going into the 1600s okay. is the time in which we look at the Renaissance <clears throat> and we see a lot of changes in like art, music and theater. The reason that Shakespeare became so popular was because he created stories and characters that had so many themes that literally anybody could see themselves in a sense on stage. Now, that's one part of the reason why his works have prevailed and preserved so long through time. But here's some other reasons why Shakespeare is so important. I've got a small game for us, Laura. Yes. Okay, I'm going to go through a couple of different phrases and words, and I want you to tell me whether or not you have heard these before. Okay. Okay, first phrase, a wild goose chase. Yes. Okay, here's one of the first words, eyeball. Have I heard of it before? Yes. Have you, have you, are you familiar with the term eyeball? Yes. Okay. Gossip. Yes. Puking. Yes. Swagger. Yes. <laughs> okay. Now I know these sound like, oh, come on, Noel, what is this? <laughs> but I promise there is a point to this. Fashionable. Yes. All right. Now here's the crazy thing. All of these words attributed to being introduced to the English language by William Shakespeare. Huh. He has been attributed with introducing over 1,700 different words to the English language. 1,700 different words? 1,700. Now, mind you, some people argue that this number is not entirely accurate because a lot of these were things that would have been said during his time period, but he's credited for introducing it because he actually like wrote it down to the point where we can historically go back and go, oh, here's the first mention of this word or this phrase, according to history, as we can record it going back through paperwork, per se. So a lot of a lot of the English language is important. Er, Shakespeare is important to a lot of the English language. Exactly. Now, here's where things get a little dark and crazy, though, when it comes to why we learn about Shakespeare in school. Yes. Okay. okay. So Shakespeare died in 1616. So this is not too far away before, after the reign of Queen Elizabeth, during Shakespeare's lifetime, King James comes into the picture after the death of Queen Elizabeth and becomes the King of England. King James, after the death of Shakespeare is when King James comes in. Around that same time period. Okay. So this is when he and his troop, fun fact, go from being the Lord Chamberlain's men during the time that Elizabeth is reigning to being the king's men when King James takes the throne. Hmm. This is the same King James who later on allows the colonists to go over and start colonizing. 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 <laughs> Which you know, one of us got high tonight? I was going to say, you weren't in the room with me when I did, so... No, I was not, and there's no such thing as a contact eyes. That's true. <laughs> so, he is the one that basically set everybody up to come over to the Americas. What do they take with them? All of these people who have, like, been growing up and coming up during the age of William Shakespeare and his plays. So, the culture... William Shakespeare kind of started the culture that brought people to America. 
And what they brought over here with them included the Bible and the works of William Shakespeare. Wow. And they took that everywhere as the British Empire continued to expand. So wait, the Bible, they brought the Bible and the smut. (laughs) Is that... I mean, accurate, because <laughs> if you really think about it... I mean, back in that time period, wouldn't have William Shakespeare have been smut? No, because again, he got backing from the royal family. That's true, that's true. So, so he was educational. William Shakespeare's stuff with teenagers killing themselves and ghosts and skeletons and stuff from Hamilton. Not Hamilton. But, but Hamlet. again... <laughs> Hamlet, which Hamlet, and you mentioned ghosts, so that is with us talking about the Scottish play, and in particularly, um, it's known as the tragedy of Macbeth. So you were you were afraid to say it, weren't you? I'm a theater kid. I'm always you, afraid to say guys, it. She wasn't going to say it. I took theater in college. I got a C in that class. I got a C <laughs> in theater. There is there are reasons and we can do like a whole thing about me talking about like the whole thing with Macbeth. But particularly the tragedy of Macbeth, the reason that so many people and here's here's a edible for today's episode, which is a fun bite-sized fact for you at home to enjoy. The reason why theater people don't like to say Macbeth in a theater unless we're referring to the character not the play, and that's why we call it the Scottish play, is because it's rumored to be cursed. Because during the time that Shakespeare wrote the play, the witch trials were going on in England. And it's rumored that he used actual verses of spells in the story on the dialogue of the three weird sisters and the witches that are featured in Macbeth. Wow. (laughs) And you have to remember, King James, the ruler of England at this time, he believed in witchcraft. He believed in witches. It was believed that the storm that kept him from being able to make it from Scotland to England to take the throne was supposedly cast by a witch. So Shakespeare (laughs) cast spells through Macbeth. I really want to read it now. The reason I got a C in theater... It's because I didn't read it when I was supposed to, <laughs> or any of the other ones. It's and it's one of like the sh- it's one of the shortest plays actually that he ever wrote, but it's one of the most compelling ones because it's the whole story of like a man is told at the beginning of the story by a bunch of predicting witches that like he's going to take the throne of Scotland. So then his brain starts working. How do I ascend to the throne? in the position I'm at now. And that is what sets the course of events for everything else, which is very much similar to the story of Oedipus, who's told at the beginning, like there is a reason why Thebes is cursed, but you don't want to find out why. And then at the end, he fulfills his own prophecy. It's the same kind of pattern with Macbeth, where he follows the breadcrumbs to create his own destiny and put himself on the throne. Hmm. Well, okay. Spoilers, first of all. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I think my time limit has run out on uh, the spoilers for <laughs> Macbeth. and spoilers for any of Shakespeare's plays that I discuss about in this podcast aside, the whole reason that Shakespeare is all over the world and ended up there was because of the British Empire expanding and con... I don't know why I can't say it tonight. Oh, 
Colonizing. Colonizing. I don't know why I can't say colonizing tonight. But because of the British Empire spreading itself across the world, it also spread the Bible, which at that point had recently been re-edited by King James. King James. Which is where we get the King James Bible from. Yes. And the Bible is right up there with Shakespeare as being one of the most quoted works ever. That's probably accurate. The reason that... Shakespeare is essentially taught in schools is because this country was founded by English colonizers and what they brought over with them besides the English language in the Bible was the works of William Shakespeare. And to this day, William Shakespeare is actually the only author named in the high school requirements of education for standard core education for high school in the United States. Hmm. Okay. The Bible and William Shakespeare? Bible and William Shakespeare. Those are that and um, smallpox. That is some of the main things we brought over here um, to the Americas. Yes. Mm, I mean, we didn't bring it. <laughs> Our you, ancestors the, did. The, the ancestral we. The ancestral we brought it here to the Americas. And we, we, we need to take a moment to acknowledge that, I feel like. I just want to make sure that Laura and Noel do not get blamed for smallpox. <laughs> No, we we are not spreading smallpox because, you know, there's a vaccine. I highly recommend it for everyone. Yeah. Because that's well, how no, we don't need the smallpox vaccine because people back then took it. That's right. And now we don't have it anymore because that's how vaccines that's work. That's how it works. Oh, my God. That's how Science it works. Science is so fun. Yes. That's just a random fact that has nothing to do with anything going on right now. I know. <laughs> Speaking of crazy things like repeating themselves in history... During Shakespeare's time, there was actually the biggest pandemic of Europe, which was the plague. And during that time, the theater, his theater that he built, the Globe Theater, was shut down for performances because everybody was getting so sick. So mm. that is where we get the 154 plus sonnets that he wrote was because he wow. made money by writing sonnets at that time. Mm. How fun. Well, yes and no. Because another sad thing that happened at that time, which I've recently learned in my research, his son died. Oh. He had one daughter and a set of twins, one of them being a son. And the son died at that time. And one of the TED Talks that I watched in my research for this with a literary professor talking about William Shakespeare talked about one of his most famous sonnets, Shall I Compare Thee to a Summer's Day? And oftentimes it's said to be like a love sonnet. But when you think about the time in which that sonnet was written, he says an interesting theory is an idea that it's actually a eulogy for his recently departed son. Oh my gosh. I know it like it hit my heart so hard because I literally it's one of my favorite sonnets. Oh, and I brought Laura sees it. You guys can't see it through the magic of podcasting, but I have my beautiful leather bound like Work, complete works of William Shakespeare here with me because I, again, I'm a Shakespeare nerd. This is what I have. So if it's cool for everybody, I'll read that in honor of the bard for us tonight. Absolutely, because I have a new respect for him. Mm -hmm. Shall I compare thee to a summer's day? Thou art more lovely and more temperate. Rough winds do shake the darling buds of May, and summer's lease hath all too short a date. Sometime too hot the eye of heaven shines, and often is his gold complexion dimmed, and every fair from fair sometimes declines, by chance or nature's changing course untrimmed. 
but thy eternal summer shall not fade, nor lose possession of that fair thou owest, nor shall death brag thou wanderest in his shade, when in eternal lines to time thou growest, so long as men can breathe or eyes can see, so long lives this, and this gives life to thee. Oh, that just has so much a different meaning. It does. Because everybody's heard that, of course. Everyone, it's one of the most famous sonnets he's ever written, mm -hmm. and to have it given that credence that it's a eulogy for his departed child saying that like your summer will never fade that eternally in his heart and mind he will remember the child that he had before and that death and the loss of him will never really fade from him in his heart that's a beautiful sentiment yeah. and hamilton had a lost child i don't know why i'm tying that to this no it's again but yeah, that's, that honestly is is beautiful to to know that that's about his son. Well, and again, it's only a theory. We can't know a hundred percent whether or not that is true. But it does give a different kind of balance to it, mm -hmm. definitely, and it makes you kind of look at the work a little differently and from a different perspective. And it could, you know, if if people could think of a death like that, maybe it could bring them some sort of closure. Mayhaps, mayhaps, definitely. Mm -hmm. That was something really cool and emotional in my research I wanted to share with everybody. I think the main reason, other than colonialism, which is the darker reason as to why Shakespeare is everywhere, mm -hmm. um, and the fact that he was, in a sense, a political propaganda for the Tudor line and what have you, the other bigger reason I feel like Shakespeare is around and we learn about him is because his work is so universal. There are over 400 different variations of Shakespeare's works that have been made into television adaptations, into films, one of the most famous ones of which we grew up watching. Oh, uh, Romeo and Juliet with the... Oh. No, it was not. The Lion King. Oh, yes. The Lion King is an adaptation of Shakespeare's Hamlet, in fact. Mm. I, I do believe I have heard that before, but... Mm -hmm. That is a fun fact if anybody didn't know that, but I did. So, you know, I'm educated. <laughs> Just kidding. I'm really not. That's the point of this podcast. <laughs> but there's also a lot of argument as to why we should cut back or even cut out Shakespeare in the classroom. And that's my point is I don't want a middle school child. I don't think a middle school <laughs> child, which is honestly, that's when I remember knowing about it. I, I don't necessarily think we read it, but I do remember learning about it when I was in like seventh or eighth grade. That's always been kind of a question to me. Even when I was in that grade, I was like, why are they telling us about this? <laughs> well, and honestly, that's pretty advanced because Shakespeare in general, he's meant to be more of starting core literature and English education for like high school level. So the fact that they started y'all with Romeo and Juliet, I think one of the main reasons a lot of middle schools or junior high schools gravitate towards Romeo and Juliet, especially for like school plays or something like that, is the just notoriety of the play itself. It's such a well-known play. Also, I think it's to give a little forbearance to the students that are learning about it because in Romeo and Juliet, Juliet is 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And Romeo is 16. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to give, I think, a little bit of perspective of the whole thing of like teenage love and romance and just how intense 
those feelings can be and to kind of go like, hey guys, this, we want you to see the extreme of how you think you feel these feelings and take a moment and step back and go like, nah, I don't love him enough to like betray my family or lie to a bunch of people and then fake my own death. Mm. I mean, I guess I can see that. I just, my prime, well, not my prime example, but okay, this, this may seem stupid. There was a whole episode of Boy Meets World where like Corey and Topanga, which first of all, I loved Boy Meets World. We all did, but kids, it's not like that. (laughs) Anyway, um, there was a whole episode of Boy Meets World where Corey and Topanga were like, it's faded, it's faded, it's faded. And it's like, don't give kids this idea of like a love that you have in middle school is worth dying for or worth sacrificing college for or anything. So that's my point behind it is I really think that that was kind of a lot of people's first idea of love was, oh my gosh, they were willing to die for each other. Well, no. And I think when they knew each other for like a week or whatever. No, but exactly. And that's the thing that Shakespeare was trying to like tell everyone in the play itself because it's the it's called traditionally the original title is the tragedy of romeo and juliet Mm -hmm. but nobody says that no one says that part they just say romeo and juliet but it's the tragedy of romeo and juliet Mm -hmm. and it's a story that kind of flips the normal um method of play work at that time because traditionally and this is just theater and story writing um whether you're doing a screenplay or anything else a comedy ends in a marriage. A tragedy ends in a funeral. That is how they always go. Shakespeare completely flipped the script with the tragedy of Romeo and Juliet because it was a tragic comedy. There were comedic actors and there were comedic parts that were being played in the story. And it had a wedding. Romeo and Juliet get married in the first part of the story. And then by the end, they die. And several of the characters die in this. And for what? For pride and out of malice because two families can't go, oh, you know what? I forgot what we're even fighting about. These two factions were fighting so bad, the leader of Verona, like the main guy in charge, literally tells them, you guys need to cut it the hell out. Otherwise, I'm locking you all up. This is done. The next person that kills another member of the other person's family, I'm beheading you. Like, this is, we're not having this anymore. They got serial yeah. in the story. Yeah, I can see. And I, I you're right. I, okay, so the darker part being that it's all we had when we came here as travelers. It was one so, of the most influential things that we kind of carried with us. And we brought it everywhere. And it has just continued for 400 plus years. But even in those countries where they have thrown off the shackles of colonialism and the history of being a part of all the different European empires, Shakespeare still remains. Akira Kurosawa's film Throne of Blood is based on Macbeth. So there's a lot of different stuff in William Shakespeare's work that is very much a universal theme. Do you have do you have any further questions or anything like that from what we've talked about thus far about our question of the week, Laura? I don't think so. <laughs> I, I definitely have a newfound respect for Shakespeare. You've given me a different way to look at it, but I I still am leaning more towards, I think that high schoolers are a little young. Okay. I think this is a great time to say thank you to all of the wonderful people who have helped us start this podcast. Exactly. Oh my gosh, guys. Thank you so, so much. Huge thank you to Sean from Bearded Kappa Productions. 
who definitely wanted us to do this. And we're going to be putting this on with some of his content. Uh, be sure to follow them on all their social media like Facebook, YouTube, Spotify. You can find all of their incredible podcasts out there. Huge thank you to the Rose Pit Autumn, who made our incredible banner that we love so, so much. She was great to work with. If you're looking for a digital artist, please go and check her out. She was so great to work with. Huge thank you to our fantastic friend, David, who wrote an incredible opening theme music for us. We love it. We hope you guys like it too. To Brandon, who gave us all kinds of tips along with David to help us control the echo in our recording office <laughs> um, to make it sound as great as it is. And of course, to all of our friends and family for being our test group and who actually came up with the title of the show, Higher, Higher Education. Higher education yes. So thank you guys so much. Thank you to Leland. Thank you to Elisa, to Kelly, and to Brandon again, to Jonathan. And to all of our incredible friends and family, your love and support means a ton to us. And also to you, our listeners. So class, hope we see you again in episode two. Follow us on all the things. And we'll see you next time on Higher Education. Bye.